Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Changing Faith Podcast. I am here in sunny California with my good friend, Elise Snipes. Elise, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Elise is a uh, therapist. Mm -hmm. She also is the host of the Trailer Cast podcast. And if you've not heard of that, you need to... You need to get on and listen to it. We're going to um, talk about that a little bit later. And she's also been a friend for five years now, six years maybe, somewhere in there. It's really just when you took my friends. So that's <laughs> really how I like to mark the anniversary of our friendship. <laughs> I did. We, some of Elise's best friends moved to Denver because of me, and I couldn't be happier. Um, and then wife to Jesse. Yes, my sweetheart. And mom to three of the coolest mm-hmm, kids. Mm-hmm. And Eden. I know. Who's gosh, like... No. Eden's my spirit animal. I think she's everyone's spirit animal. She's really for the world because she's like... <laughs> oh, she's amazing. Yeah. When you showed up here today, right before you came over, she was wearing just her mini mouse undies and she was hunting for roly polies in the yard. So I feel like that's oh that's kind of like who she is. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she's amazing. So here we are sitting in the trailer where you record the trailer yeah. cast. Um and so just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us okay. where you're from, about growing up. Yep. And, uh, yeah. Sure. Um, I, let's see, I grew up in San Clemente. I was born in Laguna Beach. The And now we're in Dana Point, so how is this for being geocentric? My whole life has pretty much taken place with, like, 10 miles of coast <laughs> <laughs> in Southern California. And I will take all the hate for that because it's worth it yes. to be here. I love it. Um. I have recently been saying that I feel like a therapist by nature and by trade. Hmm. And part of what that means for me is growing up, I was the oldest of three kids. And our parents, um, I feel like I'm still working into the languaging and how I want to even put words to some of those experiences. Because sometimes when I'm telling my story, I realize I'm also telling other people's story too, namely my parents. Yeah. And... I want to do that with a lot of like honor and dignity and grace, and especially as I live into my own time as a parent. Um, but I will say that I feel growing up that there I felt alone hmm. to start, and I also felt like I wasn't really sure where I fit in my family. So our family was for sure dysfunctional. Um, yeah. I used to say we put the fun in dysfunctional. <laughs> in high school, I actually started something called Dysfunctional Family Nights, where I would invite all my friends who had jacked up families. We'd go to the Harbor House in Dana Point, and we would just tell our worst stories to try and outdo each other. Oh, my goodness. So that way we knew that, hey, you know what? You think your life's bad? Let me tell you about mine. Was there any <laughs> kind of... Did you look back at that? Was there any kind of hearing, healing in that? Like, oh, my gosh, yes. Super cathartic. It... That's what I mean by therapist by nature and by trade. I'm like, we were leading group therapy before group therapy was even a thing that I knew about. It- That's amazing. <laughs> Milkshakes, french fries, and your, like, deep darks. Yeah. That's unreal. I should probably just bring that back. Yeah. Yeah. I'd show up. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, I think- so would my kids. <laughs> oh, my goodness. There is an element of suffering and then suffering alone Mm. and I think that's something that I as a therapist want to be able to cure is that element of yes you will suffer yes you have suffered but you and you most likely suffered alone but we're not going to heal alone and so I feel like that's really the role of therapy is we're taking something that was historical locked in time and space 
um, your own internal process, your own experiences. Now we're going to bring that into the room with a trusted, selected person, and we're going to go through this together. Hmm. And there's something inherently restorative in that experience to begin with. Um, so if I were to even kind of dip back into childhood a little bit, um, I, I know that nobody gets a guidebook, right? And like how to parent or how to be married. And I do feel like my parents would have benefited from both. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think ultimately what I like really, they were, my dad was very much caught up in his addiction as an alcoholic and it also probably in the addiction of provision. So mm. feeling the pressure of what need to provide for our family. It was like taboo in the 90s to have a divorced family like here in Southern California. Like people's parents were like married. So in eighth grade, my dad was sent to prison for drug dealing. And then my mom divorced him while he was in prison. Mm. And that was like a bomb for our family. So the three of us kids, like... While it was equally painful, and it, I also feel like it was also a release for us because the dynamic of my parents was just volatile. So extremely um, difficult place to live growing up. And you can probably read that into that, <laughs> what that, what that means. But it was confusing as a child. I often felt like parentified now. That would be the word I'd use, that I felt like responsible to hold it all together, responsible to take oh, yeah. care of my siblings. Were you parenting your parents? Definitely. Oh, definitely. I feel like I was each parent's confidant. And again, therapist by nature. So yeah. I'd listen to what my dad had to say about my mom. I listened to what my mom had to say about my dad. I would then want to shield my brother and sister from what they both parents had to say about each other. Um, I felt like if maybe I could hold it all, then my brother and sister wouldn't have to. So let me ask you, in that, you, you've been given a gift where you you naturally have a heart for others. I mean, this is what I've experienced about you in our friendship mm-hmm. ever since we took your friends. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but so there's, in that, that gift actually can, in some ways, is the thing that creates the wound it was first there. Yeah. I mean, it was first wounding. Yeah. I don't think it, I think that it actually could have been ongoing wounding if it wasn't almost righted by training. Yeah. Because otherwise I would become, would become either a really great setup for an abusive relationship, mm-hmm. codependent, yes. an addict of some sort. Um, and like in this part actually is still true. Taking care of myself last and everybody else first. Yeah. Yeah, and that's important. So as we're thinking about, like we talk about all the time on on the podcast, Mm -hmm. taking our next step, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there's so many things that we can do. It it feels second nature because it is a gift. Uh, It's how we're wired. It's what we're made to do that can actually serve not to give life, but to injure ourselves. And at the end of the day, ends up being worse for everyone else who's, if we don't deal with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, then it's, you know... The idea that codependency is like disabling and enabling, like it's both those things. It's stunting other people, right? Mm, yeah. And and there are times where I look back on that, like at what point did I want to continue to help my family? And no one ever asked. No one asked me to do that. They weren't like, "Hey, Elise, could you do this?" Yeah. Um. It was like it's what happens when you are living in a chaotic environment. You all just assume roles that are intuitive to your own process and makeup. I actually have never thought about that as an idea of, of gift. I feel like mainly because that even that word was a little bit like, was that a gift? Like it was, 
it sucked and it wasn't by choice. And so now it is absolutely by choice. Yeah. And so it feels like now it's like the, this redeemed gift, which is a word that's so overused, but it's... Yeah, but I think I think what when you see people who are becoming... In the, always in the process of becoming more whole and more healthy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a reclaiming. It's the process of reclaiming the gift of true self, as Parker Palmer would say. Yeah. That we come into this world as this and this and this. Yes. We're told we're that and that and that. And if we're awake and aware and alive enough, we'll spend the second half of our life reclaiming the gift mm-hmm. of our true selves. Um, Preach. Yeah. Well, that's, that's Parker, <laughs> hey, Parker Palmer. Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for that. Thanks, Pete. Um, <laughs> But yeah, that's your yeah. that's your story. Yeah. I mean, in, in large part, it is, and it's, and now I can say entirely, I love it. Yeah, it, completely. Every and and there are there's an idea, and this is something that I just got to speak on at a women's conference. Is that every single thing that was laid down for me in regards to Parker Palmer's reference of the first half of my life, mm-hmm. all the dark or all the difficulty or all the pain or all the loneliness or suffering or abuse that was all laid down. And I feel like my process to healing was kind of going back and looking in every closet, looking in every dark spot to say, is that true? Is that true about me? Is that true about others? Is that true about God? Is that true about the world? And if it is, then okay. And if it's not, then I need a new thing to believe about that. Yeah. And then really getting to go and stand on all those places very confidently because I wasn't afraid of afraid of of that injury anymore. Right, right. And you can be you're pointing out something that's really helpful that you you didn't just assume that everything was gone, everything was lost. That you had a belief that no, everything like nothing needs to be wasted, and everything there, even if I end up throwing it out. Oh yeah, everything there can be my teacher. It's I have. <laughs> Here's my theory with that, and sometimes I bring this up in therapy. Um, the way that Native American Indians would treat animals um, when they would use them for food is they never wasted a single part of that creature. Mm-hmm. Everything was used. And I think about that all the time because we do. We want to we'll split things up, and we now we're wasteful. But when I think about healing or even the way like that God's approach to healing, everything, even what might have been intended for evil, is always gonna be for good yeah yeah oh that's great that's so good so you talk about your path from high school at dana point harbor house (laughs) um talk about your dysfunction then your your path toward healing okay and how that you found that congruence between your healing and being a therapist okay i yeah i would say that even in high school was almost Okay, there was this, the the hurt that was going on in my family of origin, like my family system, which was the setup for an abusive relationship. So then I entered this very sick, I now say it's like a one-woman cult. Like, I was just stuck in this relationship that I, it's like I still showed up, but I was, like, felt like I had no rights, no rights to myself, my mm. thoughts, my body, my anything. I mean, it was... And I didn't even notice it at first, which I think is why it felt so cultish, is you don't notice that you're being isolated. You don't notice that all of a sudden um, I was responding to my perception of his expectation for me, which is mind control, but it's also a part of the way that abusive relationships are subtle when they start. 
and we make an allowance for that person's sickness in order to keep going because you don't typically start at the worst part of a relationship otherwise you would just you you leave right but they build that way so you have enough buy-in to say well he's still this or it's still that so the i think that my suffering was a little bit like transitory like it began in my family of origin it transitioned into this um relationship and then i went to college and was I i was like nervous and out of my element like I grew up in this 10 miles of coasts and was used to seeing everybody I knew around town I go to college and all of a sudden I'm like oh my god I don't know anybody and I I was scared so I was lonely my first year and then um got out of my abusive relationship my sophomore year of college let's talk about that because I love what you said about they start abusive relationships Mm -hmm. start very like in a very subtle way. Oh, yeah. So you can see somebody in an abusive relationship or you can be in one and all of a sudden you wake up one day, you're like, what in the world is going on? You're lucky if you do that. Okay. Help us understand what what led you to get out of that relationship. Um, the, <laughs> the actual exit point, because I feel like I knew I needed to for a while. Mm-hmm. Part of what the signs that I had seen is realizing that I had no one I could call to talk to about this. Because I either there was so much distance put between me and my friends due to this relationship that I was like, oh my god, I'm alone, and I Whoa. wasn't alone before this. Yeah. Why do I feel like I can't call anyone right now that I don't have anyone to talk to about this? And would they believe me because I've been carrying this facade out here for so long? So then I realized that there was a discrepancy between the experience I was having and the experience I wanted others to think I was having. Hmm. Um couch that in a Christian youth group. Yeah. Right? That's a whole other, like, cluster. But (laughs) in college, I asked God, I don't feel like I'm strong enough to get out of this relationship, and I don't know what to do about it, but I I need a way out. Mm. And that summer, I went on a family vacation, and during that time, I woke up, and I'm like, I think that he cheated on me. It was just this thought I had. Mm-hmm. I call him. He's watching our house. And I'm like, did, did you cheat on me? And he acknowledged it right then and there. And I was like, that's it. This is my thing. This is what I've been asking for. And I'm like, okay, it's over. We're done. And it, it was, it, I mean, there was a lot of years of having to undo that, like, yeah. that um, emotional and very much mental confusion from that relationship. But I knew I needed a way out and I was going to take whatever passing ship was coming by and this just so happened to be it and I was like, boom, done. And then I rallied some friends to say, I just really need your support and help to keep me from going back or thinking twice or anything. So. Wow. Starly. Yeah. Yeah. So at this point you're in college. Yeah. Sophomore in college. And in college, what was most significant for me was... It was my first time living in a place that was not abusive. Wow. Oh my goodness. Right? A lot of people go to college and they're going to sow their wild oats. They're going to go find themselves. They're going to go do something different. And I was just like, I'm not trying to listen to hear if anybody is like coming in drunk, if someone's hurt. 
um, if someone's fighting. I'm not having to predict the rest of the night or take everyone's emotional temperature or um, so my my mind for the first time wasn't preoccupied with how everybody else was doing. Yeah. And that translated into multiple things for me. One, um, who am I when I'm outside of a family system that gave me such an obvious role to play? Mm-hmm. Who? How do I understand myself when I'm not in a dysfunctional relationship? Yeah. Uh, who am I just by myself? Just just me. And that is for sure what college and 20s are about, I think. But this was a kind of right in my face. So college was respite. I, like, exhale would exhale. I slept through the night. Like, I had never slept through the night. Unbelievable. And absolutely PTSD in, in regards to just really not sure what I'd wake up to. And always, like, subconsciously feeling like I had to keep one ear open yeah. to what was going on. So, um... That was healing and restorative for sure. Also having to make relationships with people who don't have a preconceived notion of who I am. So in San Clemente, we all know each other, right? And so we, or we we think we do. Right. Right? And so there's this girl who hangs out with those girls and they stand here during lunch. And at college, you're just going to say, well, who am I if you don't know that about me? Yeah. And... So that was actually a really great experience as well, because I had to know that for myself. Then senior year, I get an autoimmune disorder, and I'm paralyzed. Have we even talked about this before? No. Okay. I moved to Thailand with for, and did the six months abroad experience in college, stayed for three months, backpacked all over Southeast Asia with my brother. Um, I, there are times now where I'm like, oh my gosh, like if anyone knew what we were doing over there, they would have like called us home and the movie Taken could have been about us because we're like, sure, we'll sleep at your house, strangers. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're going to like, okay, we're like 19 and are we we're like 18 and 20. Oh my goodness. Point. So it was an adventure of a lifetime. I come home from that experience. Um, Jesse and I start dating and a week later, I'm paralyzed from, like, the waist down. And I'm told what? I'll never walk again. There, I had to drop out of my senior year of college, go live in this, like, ambulatory, like, medical space to go learn how to live in a wheelchair. Not even learn to walk again. They're like, you're going to live in this wheelchair. You need to learn how to safely transfer between, like, chair, bed, um, chair, couch. But this was going to be my life. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. No, I've ne- definitely never heard this. I think I think this would have been one I would have remembered. <laughs> that one time I stopped walking. So it's called transverse myelitis, and it that whole that was a trip for sure. Obviously, um, because mentally I could I knew how to walk, but physically couldn't get my body to follow suit. It's Whoa. like a it's like a hard drive wipe. Like you're like I I I, I know this, but I I can't. My body's not listening unbelievable yes total and complete i know miracle in regards to being able to walk again yeah um the only thing i could feel during that time is that i and i've never even said this publicly um is i could feel like what felt like hands on my legs and it felt like people like like that idea of laying hands on me like or praying praying yeah and at night i could feel like i could feel like hands on my legs and I couldn't feel anything. Like, if I actually touched my leg, I couldn't feel it. But I could feel 
they had this, these like spirit, I don't know, such a spiritual hands. That's the yeah. only way you could say it. Wow. Yeah. And so what, how did you get better? Um, I mean that it, like when I went through this process of living in this um, medical spot where they did physical therapy and occupational therapy every single day, my one goal was like, hey, wiggle your left toe, wiggle your left toe. And I would spend like a week on this every day, hours, oh trying goodness. to like get any connection between body and um, brain. Yeah. Other way around, brain and body. And at what one point she's like manipulating my foot and trying to get my foot to move my toe to move and i feel this like electric impulse it just shoots from like my brain all the way down my spine down my legs into my foot and it like convulsed shook out and i'm like oh, did i do it did i do it did it happen oh and she's like you did it i'm like oh my god i'm doing it and it started with that one spark of being able to move my left toe big toe and at that point it was like off to the races like okay Okay, can I do it again? Can I do it on purpose? Can wow. I move my left toe? What about my right? Okay, that was a little bit slower to come back. And, I mean, then it went from that to... <laughs> um, can I make steps? And can I stand up? Yeah. And Because my brain wouldn't remember I was standing, so that I would just collapse. It's like... So I had to rem- rem- tell myself... Stand up, at least stand up. Yeah. At least you're standing up. Stand up. Otherwise, I would just drop to the ground. So it was a mental effort to get my body to respond. That is unbelievable. That's like it's a fascinating. You're telling me this. I'm like, and I know you're and enough of your story. I'm like, this is this is a metaphor for your story. Oh, like a hundred percent. Yeah, it is. Or everyone's story so, on healing. Okay, it's yeah, yeah. Oh my literally, goodness. Literally. Okay, so the it is because. What I just talked about at this conference was this idea of I lost proprioception during this time, which is knowing where your body is in space. Yep. So when they'd say, okay, at least move your left foot up, I couldn't tell if I was going through the floor. I lost my plane, like on where, where, what is oh, left, yeah. what is up, what is down, what is right. And while I'm in the hospital during that time, I absolutely had an experience where I received this question, which was, are you paralyzed physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically? Yeah. And how many ways are you stuck and not moving? And how much reorienting or regaining of this concept of proprioception do you need? Be- yes. And that is where like it, there was my 100% radical shift to go back into all those places and say, at what point did what I thought was up, down, left, right? Yeah. What I thought about myself, up, down, left, right, it was keeping me stuck. It was keeping me emotionally paralyzed, believing that I deserved less. So you then step, I mean, well, no, you didn't step. You threw yourself <laughs> headlong into healing. Yes. And one of the things that we spoke about, I think it was last summer, was EMDR. Yes. Which I've like been dying okay, to talk know, about on the podcast. Because I've done it. There's not even, like, we need all this time to do to talk about EMDR. We're going to do an EMDR part two. Okay. Run us, to do run us through it. The basic concepts we, of it. Yeah, we can chat, even just what it means. Because okay. I, I know people still who are like, EMD, huh? Yeah, they think it's, I've had people ask me if that's like electronic, like, dance. <laughs> EDM. <laughs> oh. I'm like, no, EMDR. Uh, no, that, um, that actually, let me just say that electronic dance music, will, yeah. they, it will make you crazy. <laughs> 
no, it's like studies have been done. Like, yeah, no, you will. It's like seizure central. Um, Okay, EMDR, um, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. This is my biggest plug for it. You don't know what you don't know until you go do EMDR and you're you're like, okay, like this is a Mm -hmm. whole different level of healing. I've been in therapy since I was like 10 years old. And this process, it's a methodology in regards to healing. It was developed in response to treating trauma specifically, has now been researched and proven to be able to treat anything from a general anxiety disorder to a specific phobia to experience or memory of trauma. But what I love about it and why I feel like super drawn to it is that there's this idea that our brain has memory, but our body also holds and stores physiological memory. Whoa. So when you say something like, okay, let's, um, what is then and there in regards to trauma, if you're having a here and now experience of it, like a flashback, like a, I have that memory and I get the chills or I tense up or that smell takes me back, like all mm-hmm. those ideas of a memory of pain or a memory, whatever the memory is, and you have an experience in the here and now of something that is actually then and there, then you're a really great candidate for something like EMDR because it takes your memory network and it goes through every single association with that target and desensitizes your here and now experience to something that is more adaptive for thinking, processing, and healing, so forth. Yeah. so when you talk about, we were just talking about this the other night, a bunch of us were at dinner mm-hmm. and, uh, I asked them if I could sub fries for <laughs> mashed potatoes. potatoes. This is like now like the stuff of legend. It's so funny. <laughs> People are always like, you don't like mashed potatoes. It's like I'm denying the Trinity or something. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't like mashed, mashed potatoes. potatoes. It's like, so mm-hmm. w- as you hear Lee's talk about this idea of the, I love how you put it, the here and now versus yep. the then and there. Yep. Um, I, it was Do several, it. I think it was several years ago, mm-hmm. Beth and I were with some friends and she is an EMDR therapist and I told her why I don't like mashed potatoes and it connects to trauma I experienced yeah. when I was five. Yes. And as much as I've been mocked about it, we tell our friends and Kay says, oh my goodness, that's like, no, that's legit trauma. That explains why you can eat every other kind of potato. But except mashed for mashed potatoes, potatoes. it right. does. The moment that hits my mouth, yes, it does something, yes, physiologically, correct, that I can't control. Yes, yeah. So this is what you're talking That's about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. The difference between big T trauma and little T trauma. Your brain does not make that distinction. Correct. And by the way, if you're listening and you're thinking like he doesn't like mashed potatoes, <laughs> I'm going to get into like mashed potatoes. Can we're moving on from mashed potatoes? <laughs> we are moving on. From Michael potatoes. is not going. To, I, I've I've made it this far. I think I'm okay. okay. I'm going to push I'm going to push on you for a second because oh, here's God. what I would say is there is your trauma and then there's what you tell yourself about your trauma. Yep. And sometimes we can hold on to the experiences we've had that are traumatic because we feel like it's a part of who we are. Mm. I am a survivor. I have gone through hard things. Um, I know how to suffer well. I've got a story. Um, and so then we can almost be resistant to not just healing on a surface level, but very yeah. deep all the way through healing. Because mm-hmm. who 
am I and do I take um, away from that painful experience if I don't react to it anymore? Yeah. Like if you were able to actually sit down and have that Thanksgiving feast and have mashed potatoes, would that mean that it wasn't as big of a deal when you were five? Right. Right. So my suggestion, my thought in regards to that is um, when you go through true holistic actual healing you don't take anything away from the suffering yeah but it gives you an alternative narrative that you don't only have to be defined by that experience but as you come through that experience you might realize there's a whole other like level of awareness in regards to how you understand yourself in relationship to those things and that's the reprocessing part it is of emdr yes so i did emdr for over a year in denver and you and i talked about this yes we did you just the way you just said it is this idea of like, it's a retelling of it a narrative. Is. It is. And so going to tremendously painful places mm-hmm. was unreal. And by the way, I will add this. If you're listening, you're like, oh, maybe I should try MDR. If you go and see an EMDR therapist and the first thing they do is like, all right, we're going to run a session of you with EMDR. Walk out. Yeah, it's not time. No. Yeah. yeah. They need There needs to be a, a ramping up mm-hmm. to it because mm-hmm. you're revisiting really painful things. Oh, so I saw this therapist, I think it was half a dozen times Mm -hmm. before we even got into it. But man, it, the way I described it was I would usually go like 6,000 miles into a trigger and just had no control over the way I'd respond to a certain number of things. And now I feel like I'm like on a skateboard and I'm like, Oh, there's a, there's a trigger over there. Yeah. Okay. I see that. Yeah. I see it coming. I can, but I'm not dying. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, uh, I might hit it. I might mm-hmm. be able to slow down before mm-hmm. I get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tremendously healing. And it, that's part of like, it's a subconscious process, which is I think if we were able to heal our triggers on our own, then nobody would need therapy, right? right. And so it's not like, oh, if I positive psychology myself through this thing, that's not real. No. Your brain is doing something outside of your control. Yes. Which is also, I think, why people are afraid to go to therapy, because they're afraid of not being in control. Yeah. Yeah. And it's important to point out, you're already not in control. Boom. <laughs> it's a myth. It's an existential yeah. myth that we have power over our, over ourselves in that way. Yeah. I'm reading a book right now that a friend recommended to me called The Righteous Mind. Okay. That says, our brains operate like a lawyer on a very poorly behaved elephant. <laughs> And the elephant is our emotions. Um, and the lawyer is there trying to explain why the elephant is behaving the way it is. I love it. Which when you see kids beginning to grow in their consciousness mm-hmm. and they do the most outrageous things. You're like, and yep. then as a, like the worst question I ask as a parent, like when my kids were four, I'm like, why, why did you do, do that? that? Totally. Because a four year old can articulate, <laughs> you know, but they, um, and then you hear them say things. Yes. And some of it is like the best stories that you retell about your kids are like, oh, yeah, when, when you went up and you smacked Johnny in the back of the head and then yeah. I asked you, why did you do that? And you came out with this ridiculous reason. As adults, we come yeah. up with better reasons mm-hmm. and we convince ourselves now we know why we're doing what we're doing, but we still, oh. in fact, don't. Uh, yeah. It's all emotion based yes. and it's deeply embedded in who we are. It is one of my favorite concepts to think about. And I feel like this is like going to be a chapter in a book that I'm in the middle of writing, which is that we are... Um, just very creatively capable of convincing ourselves of all types of BS. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 100%. And it is amusing. It's yes. amu- and, it's, and now it's amusing. At first, it's like, it's um, 
challenging to, to think that some of the things we believe are, are is BS. Yeah. But we will tell ourselves, I will tell myself all sorts of things to justify why I do what I do yep. or why I don't do what I should do. Yeah, you sound like the Apostle Paul. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what, what was the... Um, talk about some of the healing you experienced okay. in EMDR. Because you went through oh. it, but you were also trained, trained in it. Trained in it, yeah. Okay. Trained in the... Pro- I've, a trained EMDR therapist and route to certification, which is just like ongoing next level training. Yeah. Um, when I went for the weekend, you have to start practicing right away. So you practice with another novice person. They are a therapist, but they're not an EMDR therapist yet. And the experience that I had in the room with someone who was just with me in the room learning and now doing it, I had the most intense like, physiological breakthrough. And this is something I learned was my therapist said, be careful how you talk about what's happening in therapy. And so when I went to talk therapy, I went to talk therapy for like 12 years. And my therapist finally said, you're beyond talk therapy. You got to fix your brain. Those were his exact exact words. That's a good therapist. And they're like, okay, I think that you're, you need something there right now. Yeah. Yeah. But trying to talk about it, um, I would come home from therapy and my wife would say like, Hey, how was your appointment? What did I, you do? And I'd be like, I don't, I don't know. If I, I don't know. Say what it. that was. Yeah. But then I tried to explain it to two of my closest friends, yep. and I got like super emotional. Yes. And also, I was like, I, uh, I, I, I've, I've, done, I've stopped I, talking yeah. about this. Yeah. But it does unlock. Let, let me ask you about this. Yeah. It unlocks memories. It can unlock memories. Okay. It cannot give you a false memory. It can allow that memory to seep into a different place that's like not necessarily memorable anymore because it's yeah. not it's it's now indistinguishable from when you ate spaghettios on Thursday out of your elf lunchbox it doesn't matter yeah anymore because it's not sensitized mm. right so the where it has become controversial is in regards to court cases and somebody is going undergoing this treatment of, for EMDR and all of a sudden that thing that they need to remember in court and to be distraught about it in order to win their case most likely like a sexual abuse case or something yeah um, now it's like they can say it with this just like not deadpan but as in like yeah that happened and then that happened and I don't really remember though the details of this because they become less significant they don't have a hold on you in that wow. way wow yeah so the, if you want to read books on it, there's two books I would recommend. Um, one, Getting Past Your Past by Francine Shapiro. She is like, the, she's a, she discovered EMDR and then is like, is the, she's the queen. Okay. And then Getting Past Your Past, excuse me, I said that, um, The Body Keeps a Score by Bessel van der Kolk. Yep. And that is a trip to yep. read in general. Yes. Um, and if you are an intellect and want to think about how your body and brain connect, this, this book is like for you. It's, it's great. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when I asked about the, the memories, yes, what happened for me is there was all sorts of memories, like good memories. Yes, that all yes. Of a I was like, wait, I yes, I forgot. Okay. I forgot about this. I'm gonna jump on that for a second yeah. because I think a lot of the times we think, oh, if I'm gonna go do big trauma work, then I'm only gonna remember all these dark things. What if I remember that there was sexual abuse that happened and then there really didn't? And people are afraid of false memories or afraid of real memories that they are not aware of. Yeah. But we underestimate the fact that there's plenty of good things that are gonna be recalled as well. Um, moments of connection and warmth or feelings where you're like, wow, like I did a good thing, or it's yeah. there. That is also there. Yep. And that's, am I right in saying it's because our long-term memory and our trauma centers of the brain are mm-hmm. same place? Yes. 
So it's, if you dislodge trauma, to for lack of a better term, yes. that's not the, that's 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 not cool. the professional that's cool. term. We'll do it. Yeah, we'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you actually then open up good memories. Like it's, oh, I, I remember doing this and this and this as yes. a kid. How, how do I not remember that? Memory network. Yeah. Memory network. So some of it, I, I think like almost like a complex jellyfish sometimes where you can see like some of like those tentacles connect to things and they branch off again. Like, and it's, you, you don't even, you, we, I underestimate how and why memory is connected, but the doesn't, it's not logical. The brain made that association. I didn't intend to put all those associations into that one box of like good memories or bad memories or scary memories. It is that the brain made an association outside of my awareness and now they're connected. That's and when you unreal. have things that are in the wrong boxes, then you feel anxious, depressed, stuck because you have a memory that's stuck in that box. You're like, I can't get past that. Whoa. So we have to reorient and put things back into the right boxes, categories. Yeah. That's unreal. Yeah. Unreal. And so you've, you've worked through this, this healing. So yes. you have, we'll review, you had a unbelievable difficult past. Yes. And what you said that will stick with me is it wasn't until I got to college that I could sleep through the night. Mm-hmm. So you, you go there, yes. you, you're paralyzed. Yes. How long were you paralyzed? That time? Yeah. What? what? Mm-hmm. Multiple times. I've had I've had transverse myelitis twice. Oh, my goodness. And then when I fell down the stairs and broke my back holding Judah, um, I was paralyzed again. I had to be flat on my back for six weeks. So, oh. I know, Michael. <laughs> my goodness. So, I can laugh now. It was yeah. not funny then. Now, now it's part of... It's a part of my story that allows me to understand different things. Yeah. And then you work through, or I'll say it this way. You've worked and are working. Yeah, always. Through. Uh, and then you get an invitation. And this is uh, where I, I want people to hear mm. uh, about being smart versus being vulnerable. Okay. Uh, okay. For sure. Setting you up for that yeah, one. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. You go to, you go to Rise, L, uh, not Rise LA. It was in LA. Yes. But it's called Rise. Rise. So what is Rise? Yeah. Rise is a conference that's curated by Rachel Hollis of the Chic of Chic Media. Okay. And she's in one of the most like inspiring women that I know that is alive right now. Whoa. Okay? Um, I was on a my first business trip away from all three kids, and I read something that she posted on Instagram, and I would like to say that I am so much deeper than that, but. <laughs> I was scrolling through Instagram and she posts something about being a working mom on a business trip and it turned me inside out. I just started weeping and was just like, I I had all these feelings about it. I wasn't giving myself permission to feel. And yeah. being a woman, being a working woman, being a mom, being a working mom, it was so layered for me. Yeah. How do I give myself permission to dream, to be hungry, to want to work, to want to just go for it? And yet at the same time, look at these like perfect three little children that I'm like, I'm leaving them in order to do me. Yeah. And that is that was in conflict. Wow. So she said something on that. Uh, on Instagram and I was like taken by what she had to say and started following her and she is the <laughs> one of my sons is dancing outside the trailer for us it's perfect um, so with Rachel she had a vision to be able to 
create a table that everybody could sit at in an effort to understand more about themselves, remove any obstacles so that they can really like live into their best life. So she's like, it's like church with hip hop music and dancing, but everybody can go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that was like her, one of her, her one of her, her visions. Cause she also had watched two of her best friends who came out and lost their church, lost their faith community, lost everything. Wow. And was like, basically like, no, no, um, big line in the sand. No, there's going to be a place where everybody gets to go. And so yeah. that was part of her vision for creating this conference. So mm. long, long short of that is rise was prolific. I'm still trying to understand it. Um, over, over 700 women in one room is like in, okay, here's the other thing I, it's a sidebar to this, but I really feel like I'm watching this idea of society as a whole lifting in regards to its response to the, fe- to the idea of the f- of feminine, yeah, the sacred feminine, um, a femi- not not a feminism and not a femininity, but this idea of how people culture are raising consciousness in regards to the feminine within, yes, and the feminine without, and then the feminine between, and that is what was happening at this conference. Women who were able to freely stand in their own space, which allows everybody to stand freely in their own space yeah. and then we're doing that together i have the chills like thinking about it it was beautiful yeah yeah i'm still emotionally moved by it and you so you, oh, yeah. you get the invitation <laughs> to speak I, okay i'm marrying beans and sammy oh yeah yeah i'm i'm performing my first wedding um and at this wedding rachel comes up to me afterwards and she's like you have got to come speak at rise <laughs> this is like the wedding heard around the world in my life. It's the wedding that cost us our church and my husband's job and like also kept, made this catalyst for like the best season of our life. Yeah. And this invitation to rise. So I'm invited to rise and I'm like, oh yeah, absolutely. My like secret like girl crush is going to be there, Jen Hatmaker. I don't know if you know her. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... I'm going to be on a stage that she's going to be on. And so... And you end up speaking... Yeah, directly right following before, her. Right before... Directly following oh, Jen. following her. Oh, that's, that's not a big deal. No. I was like, <laughs> like pee my pants. Because I'm like, no, pr- no, pr- no pressure, Elise. Oh, my goodness. I... Yes. Okay, so now, not only am I going to be at this women's conference in this giant theater room, and someone's asking me to do something, and I want to be really good for them because I'm a pleaser. Yeah. Now now Jen's going to be there, and so now I have to be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, insightful. Uh, say something that no one's heard before. Original. I feel like original is something that I feel is, that's an important quality to me. So I'm telling my husband, I'm like, okay, Jesse, here's my plan. Here's what I'm going to say, and he goes, he'll give like really honest critique and just tell me that yeah. that's trash ditch that or blah 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 so this time he goes Elise you're gonna go to this women's conference and the theme is owning your past and you're gonna get up there and talk in objective abstract language about how to get through difficult things I'm like yeah yeah Jesse 
I am because they asked me to be there and I want to show up as a therapist. I want to show up with someone who knows things. And he's like, girl, you are going to miss it. You're going to miss it if you get up there and you don't tell your story, you, how you own your past. Yes. Secret of our marriage. He's always right. And I just like Brene Brown, like laid it out there. Never told my story in fullness like that before. Wow. Every part of my life I put out there and I'd never done that before protecting myself from my past, protecting others that were involved, um, or feeling like there's just too many things that I don't want to overwhelm people with. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to own it. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it right now. Not going to talk about it. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And it... So good. Bomb. And it's, I think an important observation, maybe a helpful observation, is so many people, we, we live in a world where, um, we want to, we want to impress like, and this is yes. nothing new. We want to impress. We want people to think we're great. We want, yeah. Um, yes. And so much is made of people who are smart, who are brilliant, mm-hmm. who are creative, mm-hmm. who are this. Mm-hmm. But I think what the, what we really ultimately need are people who are just like, no, I'm just going to be vulnerable. I'm, I'm gonna just going to do me today. Yeah. 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 And those are the people when you think about like who you want by your bedside, when you're passing away, you, you think about who do you want? Who's your first phone call when, when everything hits the fan in your mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. oh, this I need someone I can trust. Not yes. I need someone who ex- can explain who knows to me. Things and yeah, who can explain to me what I'm be. going through mentally what, yeah. now that I've been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. good. And then, so you do that, and you yeah. also. Uh, I want. I want to want to give you a shameless plug for the trailer cast. <laughs> so tell us okay. a little bit about the trailer okay. cast. Okay. I. I'm a woman of, a, of infinite ideas. Yeah. And those ideas, I love to brush past my husband because he um, has an ability to like make things come true. Yeah. So we're walking on the beach, and I'm like, hey, what if, what if we restore an old vintage trailer, and I can use that as my office for therapy? And he's looking at me like, okay. Like, he's going to bite on this idea. Yeah. I'm like, all right. So I'm like, keep laying that there for him, like, you know, and there's no overhead. And then I can just park it down at the ocean. And that's like therapeutic in and of itself. And so I'm like trying to sell him on this idea. And he's like, okay. Okay. And I'm like, whoa, it's on. So I know that if that window's open, we got to jump right through it because it could close. Yeah, yeah. So we get on Craigslist. We find this 1953 Bulls Arrow trailer. It's gutted and it looks like there's like this blue styrofoam everywhere. It looks like a meth lab. Um, and it's in Klamath Falls, Oregon. We just so happened to be going to Oregon that next week to go visit my friend who lives in Ashland. And we drive from up to Oregon, drive to Ashland, and then drive over to Klamath Falls, check out this trailer, buy it, trail it home. Yes. And he, my husband then spends the next, like, five months totally restoring it from this, like, nasty place to this most beautiful office, which I now use for therapy. So it's my office for private practice. Yeah. And then I have been on this mission to normalize therapy. Hi, kiddos. When I think about how I, like, fit into the world right now, part Mm -hmm. of what it is is being able to speak in normal people terms. So whether that's about faith or whether that's about therapy or whether that's about the human experience, I want to be able to take what is happening in therapy and put it out into the world that people might say, hey, maybe I'll go do that. Yeah, I would go do that. Yeah. So um, 
I say it's like taking therapy like off the couch and out into the world. And one of the ways I'm doing that is through trailer cast, yeah. which is basically just some musings on the human experience. Beautiful. Um, and we're sitting in the trailer right now. We're in the trailer right now. And, and Judah just came in. Right up in here. So why don't you come? Who are you? Judah. Come talk in here. So we're sitting. We're sitting in the trailer that you're that Jesse yes. remodeled. Yes. Recording this. Yes. And Judah, age four. Can you say hello, Judah? <laughs> no. No. Okay. He's done. Oh, so yes. If you uh, a couple of things, yeah. at least drop some of the uh, some of the books that she mentioned regarding yeah. um, body and brain. Highly recommend those. I've read uh, the Body, body Keeps the, the Score. score. Okay. Super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Dial into the trailer cast. Mm-hmm. Is there a way for people to hear your your talk at Rise? Yeah, I was actually going to say we are launching a new website today, actually. And the thing that I'm really my next like big move is going to be this: is what sometimes can take years in therapy hour at a time by hour at a time i'm going to be doing weekends which is this idea of like weekend retreats basically where they get to come right here to sunny dana point and do like an intensive weekend about unlocking you going through your past your beliefs you've developed about yourself during that time how those are are affecting you now and for your future yeah so it's it's going to be like all my best work curriculum and everything in one weekend and you can see all that on my website elisesnipes.com elisesnipes.com and how do you well you know we'll have a link to that yeah in the uh online as well so elise thank you for giving this time judah thank you for joining us for the very end I'm Yes, your turn. I'm going here. You go over there. <laughs> we'll do your show next, okay? Judah, maybe, yeah, we'll have you on the we'll have you on the podcast in future days. Sound good? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, thank you Thanks, for Michael. being with us uh, on the Changing Faith podcast. Uh, again, we will have Elise's information for you uh, in the de- the episode description. So, thank you for joining us, and as always, much love. And peace be with you.